0: Everybody, how you doing? Good. Welcome to Cactus Venue Chapel. Welcome to Northridge as all of you are joining us now for our Summer on the Mount series, which I thought was very clever. I thought that was a lot of fun. It's a play on words. I'll explain it in a second. If you guys think that's great, that's awesome. I thought it was funny. If you think it's stupid, then Kevin thought of it. So <laughs> you can blame him. <clears throat> uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take six weeks while Jamie is away. He takes uh, some time in the summer just to kind of rest and he does a lot of study and it's so fun. He comes back and beginning of fall, just rip raring and ready to go. And so uh, we're excited for him to get a deep breath as well as some time to just focus on what we'll teach on. Uh, for the next year when he comes back. It's always great. But Kevin and I have been given this privilege to be with you as our church for six weeks to talk about this incredible, this powerful, this prolific teaching time that Jesus has. And it's perfectly named, okay? They weren't complex about sermon titles. There was no mystery in it. Uh, The scriptures tell us that Jesus walked up onto a mountain and he started to teach a sermon. So they went, no reason to make this mystic. It's a sermon on the mountain. That's what it is. And so we're gonna take that and pick it apart. And what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna talk about just one verse. It's 13 words in the English translation that really set the whole Sermon on the Mount up. And so that's where we're gonna spend some time today. But one of the things that I think is so hard at times is perspective is kind of a tricky thing. Uh, The perspective that we bring to the Bible Can kind of get in our way. So I thought, well, since Kevin and I are going to spend six weeks kind of shifting our perspective from this place of kind of thinking about maybe how we normally think about the Bible, we we come to it and we sort of go, what do I got to do? We always ask the question, right? Like, well, so, Rustin, what do I need to go out and do? And application's important, but we've got to apply this sermon and most specifically this verse that kicks it off the right way. So I thought, how better to do that than to have an opening example about perspective on perspective. So allow myself to introduce myself. It's a little redundant, let's dive in. Okay, so I want you, some of you guys have seen this, all right, this is a picture and I wanna start with it this way. I'm gonna give you a perspective. This is a picture of a young woman, all right? So picture of a young woman, let me describe the young woman to you that you're looking at here. Uh, She's kind of looking away from you, all right? So let me orient myself here, there we go, okay. So she's kind of looking away from you just like this and you can kind of see her jawline right through there, and she's kind of looking over her right shoulder. You can see her eyelash kind of coming out to the side, maybe the tip of her nose right there, and her ear that's kind of coming out of this hat, this maybe fur hat that's got this feather coming up to it there. She's got a little necklace kind of going right across her neck there. So I tell you, this is a picture of a young woman. That perspective helps you see, yes, Rustin, indeed, we agree, that is a young woman, okay? Let's take the DeLorean back 15 seconds. Let's pretend like I didn't say any of the things I just said, and let's start over, okay? Welcome to the Summer on the Mount series. I thought that was clever. And hey, I wanna tell you this. I wanna show you a picture of an older woman, an elderly woman in this photo, okay? But let me describe her to you so that you know what you're looking at. Uh, She has a fur hat on with a feather that kind of covers her forehead. Uh, This outline right here is her nose, right? You can kind of see her eyelash coming off the side. Her eye is just barely peeking out from under that hat. There's a little wrinkle. This is her nostril right there and her mouth is right across here. Her chin is tucked down into the fur coat that's covering her shoulders. And this is her chin right there. You see, All of a sudden, now for some of you, let's just, let's be honest. Some of you are going, I don't see any women. This is the weirdest picture I've ever seen. Okay, it's like when somebody like takes their sonogram and they're like, isn't he cute? And you're like, I don't, I just see wavy lines. I don't see a baby in that at all. Okay, so if you're having that experience, it's all right. That's not critical to the sermon. But for those of you who are having the experience right now where you're going, what Rustin told us to start with gave us a perspective and that perspective is shaping what we see in this picture. It's actually shaping our expectation of what we hope to find. You see, perspective is a funny thing. And so many times, perspective can shape what we come to the Bible with, right? Our, sh- our perspective shapes the scriptures rather than the scriptures shaping our perspective. And so what we're gonna do this summer, as we talk about the six weeks in the summer on the mount, we're going to be looking at the summer, of the Sermon on the Mount a little different. Uh, we're gonna spend a summer talking about our hearts because so many times as a culture, and, and just so you know, this isn't even an American thing, this is a human experience. As humanity, so many times we go, great, what do I gotta do? And what I hope to show you today is that that's not a new experience when it comes to humans trying to relate to God. We just kinda wanna know, what is it that we can do? And so I wanna shift our perspective a little bit. And that's a a huge task to undertake. And so what I wanna do is let's do this. Let's start our Summer on the Mount series and let's bow our heads and pray and just ask God to join us. Uh, Lord, we we know that you're here because where two or more are gathered, you are assuredly present. And we are here for the purpose of being with you. And so Holy Spirit, we really ask that you would come and meet us in some sweet ways as we look at this verse that so meant so much more than just go behave well for God. Uh, I I ask, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you just move? We are lost without you. Um, Nothing will happen unless you come. And so we ask that as we go deeper and we talk about the heart, that you would join us, you would be with us, and you would help us as we dive in to what it means to go beyond our behaviors and to talk about our hearts this summer. And we pray this in your precious name, amen. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna start right here. Uh, stick with me, because it'll be a lengthy process, but I'm gonna read our passage for the day. It should take a while, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys all right? I know that took a minute, but here's the point. This is not long, it's 13 words. It has two parts. We have two questions today. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what is the kingdom of heaven? And that's it. But by the time we get done with this, you're gonna realize that what we typically understand, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, you go through the Beatitudes and you're like, wow, like we just don't get very far into the Beatitudes before you get tired, right? You're like, I gotta be poor in spirit, I gotta be meek, I gotta learn how to mourn. Gosh, I'm already tired, this is a lot to do. It's an exhausting to-do list. And so one of the things we gotta do is we gotta specify and answer this first question. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because that's a very weird term. Most of the time when I say the word poor, we immediately go to this place, we have a financial or a monetary understanding of poverty. It's this understanding of somebody who is lacking in financial means. And because of that lack, there is some kind of dependence on another to provide. Does that make sense? So there's this like, hey, this person's poor, they don't have enough. And one of the things I want you to think about today is many of us have done like missions trips uh, to the third world. We've gone places where we've seen like absolute destitute poverty, where you see people who are living on the streets and they're in, in need of some, some others to come in and to be dependent on them to truly provide. That extends into our, own, our very own city. Sometimes we see this, but I want you to imagine that person who is sitting there and they're waiting for that food bank or for that shelter to open because if somebody doesn't open the doors of that shelter, this is going on in Phoenix every single day, they won't have, they won't eat. They may not die that day, but they won't have that day. That's what it means to really be poor. And one of the things I wanna kind of poke at a little bit for all of us is most of us don't understand that because we have far more than we need. We may not have far more than we want, but we have far more than we need. If the apocalypse happened tomorrow and it was you and your family in your house, you could survive on what's in your house for like a year. That just creates this sense for all of us of we're not really dependent. That's why Jesus at one point kind of comes to this place where he says, listen, it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why does he say that? It's not because money is inherently evil. It's because our spirit is so dying to be dependent on self That money just kind of gives us this crazy illusion, this allure that we're sufficient. We have what we need. It's a distraction away from it. What Jesus is describing when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or I've studied the construction of that sentence a lot this week. What that verse is saying is, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. So what it's describing is this need, but it specifies this dependence that we're supposed to have. It specifies it away from just poor people. He's not saying poor people, financially destitute people are blessed. What he's saying is those who are poor in spirit, in the spiritual realm. What I would submit to you today, the reason Jesus takes that eye of the needle camel analogy and lays it out there is because imagine this, somebody who is desperate or dependent on another physically every day, that's not hard for them to make the leap to their spiritual life. They go, yeah, I don't have anything physically. And if these others don't help provide for me in my current state, I don't have. Great. I just transact that over here to my spiritual life. It's right there. But for most of us, because we're not physically dependent on someone else, we can provide for ourselves It's a lot more work to get to a place of spiritual dependence on God. Does that make sense? As Jamie would say, can I get a head nod that you guys are tracking with me on this? That's what we're gonna talk about today. So when you hear the phrase poor in spirit, what I want you to think is I am dependent spiritually because that's what Jesus is stating here. The problem for so many of us is we get to this place where we, we don't know that that's where we're at. We, we say we're dependent on God, but if you ever watch somebody go through a battle with cancer, like, have you ever noticed that person doesn't come out of cancer the same way they came into cancer? Many of you've had cancer. Were you the same person after you came through cancer that you were when you started cancer? No, you weren't. I can see the head nods now. Why? Because you had this moment where you were sitting there and you're going, listen, I don't know that the surgery is gonna work. I don't know that, the, that this, is, this therapy or this uh, treatment is going to take care of it. I'm dependent on God to do something miraculous in my body. And all of a sudden they come out and they have a category because of a physical dependence and they have a category for a spiritual dependence. So for what I wanna to do today, if we're gonna talk about this whole dependence idea, we have to talk about what it looks like to not be dependent. So you go, well, what does it look like? I thought I was poor in spirit, Rustin. Yeah, so did I. And then I started researching this passage and I went, oh my gosh, (laughs) there's a lot of places where I'm not poor in spirit. Well, what's the opposite of it? If I'm not poor in spirit, where am I getting stuck? Well, if you're not poor in spirit, you're living a life for all of us that we are rich in self instead of being poor in spirit. Now, we talk all the time uh, at this church as a staff about what does it look like uh, for, for these two, this kind of like polarizing experience to happen. And, and there's a difference. We have two terms and they're really helpful. But the one is wounded, which is where I'm rich in self. I'm trying to solve my own spiritual condition. The other one is broken. It's being poor in spirit. And the difference between wounded and broken is critical because once I hope I explain this, well, you'll be able to attach the idea and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Now, I do this a lot, okay, and what I want to do today is I want to I talk through something from my experience, and I'm kind of going to be submitting that to you to grab a hold of, and that's the way I do things a lot pastorally. Uh, I'll have someone come to my office, and let's just say they're wrestling with addiction, all right, and so they'll come in, and they may not be ready to admit that they have an addiction issue, which makes things awkward, right, because A spouse or a friend has said, Hey, go see Rustin and talk about what you're going through. And so they'll start talking and they'll tell me a story and I'll go, why don't I do this? Why don't I tell you about the way that I used to drink? Okay. And then you tell me if it resonates. So I'll tell kind of, Hey, here was what my experience was with alcohol. And they'll go, yeah, me too. That's exactly what it's like for me, which gets awkward because I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this person and I go, so that's it. Good news, bad news, brother. Uh, The bad news is, if you don't want to be an alcoholic, it's not a great thing that the way I drink resonates with you because I am an alcoholic, which is why I stopped drinking. Good news is, there's a solution. And then there's this really long pause where they're like, well, shoot, didn't that just work? So I want to do the same thing today, and I want to talk to you about what my woundedness looks like. And if it connects with you, then we'll we'll start moving into an assumptive we, The way that this rich in self or this wounded cycle can happen is we have a moment and let's take an issue that we all wrestle with at times. Let's take pride. Okay. So what happens is you have a prideful moment. Okay. And your heart just gets stubborn and hard and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you just go, no, I don't want to change. I don't want to be that way. I I just, and then you, you realize like you, you get broken about it or you get, you, you recognize that you're stuck. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, God, I'm so sorry that I was engaged in this prideful behavior. Okay? I don't wanna be prideful anymore. And you start to move out and away from your pride, maybe six hours, six weeks, six months, whatever it is. But pretty soon you start to have this moment where you feel yourself arcing back to the same behavior and you're back in an argument again and you start to feel yourself getting stirred up and you go, I don't wanna change, I'm right, you're wrong, I don't see your perspective and you're right back in the same thing, okay? Now, awkward moment. Am I the only one who's having this experience in their Christian life? No? Anyone raise a hand? Brave people. Okay, this is what it looks like. Being wounded is where I keep trying to change my behavior, but I keep riding the same wounded loop around over and over again. There's a great proverb that describes this graphically but very helpful here. Proverbs 26:11 says, "Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly." See, there's this reality that's gross, right? We've all seen that happen. Like a dog eats too much grass or whatever, and then they get sick, and they, you're, like, you're looking at it, and you're like, they go back to it, and you're just going, Go, lock the dog up. This is disgusting, right? But doesn't that fit? That prideful moment that you rode out and away from, you feel yourself arcing back to it because something in you hasn't changed. You've tried to change your behavior, but it hasn't changed, and you're sickened by it. It's a perfect analogy. Why am I here again? We've all said that at times. Why am I not changing? I want my heart to change. I want to do something different, but I'm stuck on this wounded loop. And the problem is when we're stuck on our wounded loops, we never feel truly free. We can't really be known because nothing's changing. We're just riding it around and around again. And, and so we've, we've really got one of two options when it comes to our wounded loops. We've either got to hide them nothing to see over here, brother, praying for you and the family. And it's like, but don't come look in my life. Or we try to justify to those around us. No, 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 it's not pride. I just have this burden of being right all the time. It's really, just pray for me. It's real cross to bear. No, it's pride. You can't soften your heart to see compassionately about how your behavior is wounding someone else because you found a little thread in your behavior that is correct, but it's wrapped in all these other threads that are hurting others. So you keep riding the wounded loop. We can't be known. We have this desire as human beings, one of the deepest desires of the human heart is to be truly and authentically known. That's why one of our values around here is get real. But when we're wounded, it is so hard because we keep trying to hide the depths of our woundedness or to justify the depths of our woundedness. Is anybody tired of hiding and justifying our, broke or our wounded behaviors? It's exhausting. So we ask the question, all right, what does it look like? How do I get off this exhausting loop? And, and church, here's what I would say. Our problem is not confession. We're good at confessing. We go, I did this prideful thing But then we ride the loop around and we keep coming back and saying, I keep doing prideful behaviors. And what I wanna submit to you today, and if we really wrap our brains around this, it's a huge shift. Rather than just confessing our behaviors, we need to confess differently or we need to confess deeper. Because your problem isn't just your behavior. That's not our problem, okay? Our problem is that we don't just have a behavior problem, we have a heart problem. Our hearts are producing our bad behaviors, not the other way around. So let's talk about this for a second. Let me use an analogy that might be helpful. Let's say that like I'm, I'm here and this is a sales floor and I'm trying to sell everybody online, everybody in our different venues and I am an engine salesman, okay? So I step up here and I got this big, awesome V12 engine. It's taking up all this space. It's sitting on this big you know, display. And, and I go, guys, this is a great engine. It's got 12 cylinders, it's got all this horsepower. It's an absolute beauty. You put it in whatever car you want, you're gonna love it. You guys go, well, that sounds awesome. I go, matter of fact, listen, let me crank this thing up. And I turn that thing over and it is humming and purring. It's making all this awesome noise. Car guys are just grunting and growling. It's like the Tim Taylor moment. We're just loving this. And then some of you watched Home Improvements, that's big. 90s is coming back, all right? So here it is. And then all of a sudden, as it starts turning over, this thick, putrid, black smoke is just pouring out of this thing. And you guys are like, it's filling the room. And you guys are sitting there going, um, that's not cool. But I all of a sudden sit here and I start trying to take care. Hey guys, no problem. Let me fix this exhaust. Give me just a minute. And I'm over here in the midst of this black smoke trying to fan it away, cover it up, or trying to, man, if I could just get into this exhaust, what would you be thinking to yourselves? This idiot thinks he's got an exhaust problem. That's not bad exhaust, Rustin. You've got a bad engine. It's not your exhaust, it's your engine. You see, the insanity of our Christian performance-based lives is we keep sitting there trying to fix our exhaust and we never address the engine. You don't have just a behavior problem. Your behavior may be a problem, but it's not what's generating the behavior, It's, it's the heart. We gotta get to the engine, we gotta dive in. That's why Jesus goes and he has this beautiful statement in just 10 chapters. Look at this, it's Matthew 15, 11. He says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Jesus was always arguing with the Pharisees about dietary restrictions within the law, okay? The Levitical law was really what the Pharisees specialized in. And so as he's sitting there one of these days, They're kind of going, well, we can't eat meat sacrificed to idols and we're out on the whole split hooves thing. So no pork, we're not doing that. And Jesus finally kind of goes, gosh, I'm so sick of this because you guys just aren't getting it. He goes, listen, it's not what goes into the mouth. It's not the meat sacrificed by idols. It's what comes out. Now he's not talking about indigestion, okay? He's not talking about profanity, like you guys swear too much or this or that. What he's saying is exactly what we're talking about today. You guys are talking about a behavior, the putting in of meat sacrificed by idols. I'm saying that by what's coming out of your mouth, it's indicative. It's showing me that your heart is already defiled. You are wounded. And what's the exhaust of your life is showing me that your heart, your engine is broken. Actually, in just a few verses, Kevin's gonna teach next week on the Pharisees and righteousness, and it's, it's awesome. He's gonna talk about the law. But right after that, Jesus transitions into this teaching where he keeps making the statement, you have heard it said. He says, you have heard it said, and then he starts taking on different portions of the law that the Pharisees had interpreted strictly behaviorally. He talks about adultery. He talks about murder. He talks about divorce and oaths, retaliation and how to love your enemies. He keeps talking about all these things. And what he does is this. He goes, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. Behavior. I say to you, Don't even look at a woman lustfully. Heart. You have heard it said, Do not murder. Behavior. It's an action. It's a bad one, but it's an action. He says, I am saying to you, Do not even be angry. This haunts all of us. We've all been angry. We'll talk about anger in a little bit. But do you see what he's doing? He's saying, You're focused on behavior, I'm focused on the heart. Behavior, heart. I could do that with every single one of those, we just don't have time. The reality for the Pharisees, the reality for the religious group of the day that was supposed to be focused on the God of the Bible, the God of the scriptures, right? The Hebrew scriptures. Was that they could be, and I don't have time to go into this, but they could be circumcised on the eighth day, action, and they could follow the law, action, and they didn't need to depend on God at all to do it. They had created a ministry structure where they could achieve success without dependence on God, which is why all through the Old Testament, over and over and over again, he keeps coming back to this place where he goes, I want your hearts. I want your hearts. I want your hearts. Your worship is useless to me. Why? Because I am a God that wants your hearts. Jesus picks that up and makes it the sole focus because just like us, do you realize it's a human experience? All we focus on is sitting back and trying to figure out of how we can behave for God. So what Jesus is doing in this experience of saying here to here, heart and behavior, they need to be equal in what you're doing with me because one is producing the other. What he's doing is he is intensifying the law. It's two things. He's intensifying the law and he's internalizing the law. He's taking the behaviors and he's going, I wanna go deeper. So he raises the bar, intensifying the law to the point where he goes, only I could fulfill this. The reason the Pharisees were so mad is Jesus keeps raising the bar to this point where they go, we could never do that, man. And we, are, we find our value in being able to do in religious areas. So Jesus is stripping all their value away and they're furious about it. But he's raising the bar to the point where he goes, only I will be able to fulfill this bar. And he's also internalizing the law. The Pharisees had wonderful behavior. Wonderful. I would go as far as to say that no one at Scottsdale Bible Church, the most righteous of us in our modern day, would have been blown away at how righteous the behavior of the Pharisees were. They just didn't sin the way that we do. They just had disciplined themselves so much that they just weren't gonna sin in the ways that we do. These overt sin actions just weren't happening. But they were wonderful on the outside, wicked on the in. That's why Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. What's a whitewashed tomb? It's a coffin with a rotting body inside that is beautifully decorated on the outside. That's what it means to be a whitewashed tomb. So Jesus takes it. It's just like Jamie taught us last week. What a great three weeks in the prodigal son parable because what Jamie did was week one, he talked about how that, fir- that younger son, the prodigal son was lost while he was away from home. Week two, he talked about how eternally loving extravagantly loving the father always is. But then on week three, last week, he talked about the older son who was, and I love this phrase, lost while at home. That's what woundedness looks like. Woundedness looks like this. It looks like you're lost while you're at home. You're with God, but you're not with God. It's the Pharisees, wonderfully wicked. For so many of us, We keep worrying about the exhaust of our engines, but we don't talk about the engine itself, which is what Jesus is talking about. I wanna be the Lord of your engines, not just the Lord of your exhaust. I wanna be the Lord of your life, holistically. So how do we stop just thinking about right behavior and get to the place where we're focused on these hearts? How do we get off of our loops? Because that's the most important thing that we could do is to truly find a place where we can over and over and over again, give our hearts to God. Uh, Church, I think it looks like this. I think we need to not just be willing to stand there and confess our behaviors, but then from there, we confess our hearts, our engines that are producing the behaviors. But then here's the deal. If I leave you there today, if that's where we stop, you're just gonna kind of launch into, we will all launch into just a more infuriating process of self, of being rich in self. We're gonna try heart modification and it's just a whole lot harder than behavior modification. It's just more exhausting. I don't wanna leave us there. What I wanna do is say, it's not just the exhaust, it's not just the engine, it's the moment in your life, truly being dependent on God. Getting off of the loop is where you look at your engine and you step back and you go, God, what I recognize is I'm not even a mechanic. I can't even touch the engine because the engine of my life is a spiritual part of me. It is my spirit, my heart, and I can't change my heart. That's what it means to be dependent. You are waiting on God to open the doors of the spiritual food bank so that you can eat. That is a complete shift. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, not rich in self, And so that prayer, this is so important because that prayer, church, that gets answered every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But if I tell you that, you go, great, I just pray a quick prayer. Do, I'll just do a quick behavior and my heart will change. No, that prayer gets answered every day of the week and twice on Sunday, but we will not be better on Monday morning because what it takes to truly overhaul our hearts is a season, a life of dependence on God because we've got a lot more wounded loops than we would care to admit. It's not just one. It's a life where we continue to allow God to do something in us that we could never do on our own. So let's get real practical. Let's get the wheels on the ground and turn them over. Let's take an analogy, and I'll use this one for me, okay? I am one of those people who is overtly acts in my anger, okay? Some of you are really cool. You do the passive aggressive thing. I do overtly aggressive, okay? And, and here's the thing. Talk about the, the justification or the hiding thing, all right? I can already see you guys. You're all whispering to each other, husbands and wives. That's you, you do that, right? Okay, here's what we do. We justify this. We sit back and we go, listen, I'm not angry, okay? I'm just passionate, all right? I'm Italian, right? I sit- What you heard the other night from three houses down, that was just us, me and my wife having an Italian discussion about how we missed each other, okay? Listen, the other side of the ball, no better off, right? You just sit back and you go, no, I don't really do that, right? I just kind of, I store all my anger up in a pot that pressurizes over time and then it kind of blurts out in a passive way, I'm Canadian. (laughs) Our problem is not our ethnicities, okay? But just like Jesus said, you say don't murder, I say don't be angry internally. Whether you're me and you're overtly angry or whether you're passively angry, you're angry and we're leveling the playing field, okay? So does everybody understand? This is a completely level field, regardless of ethnicity or behavior, it is all the same. We are all angry at different times in our lives because we're basically giant children and we don't like when we don't get our way, all right? So let's look at this. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like for me, okay? I am sickened. And I'm, guys, I'm gonna get super practical here. I'm in the middle of this one now, all right? God's doing this work in my life during this current season, okay? So I get overtly angry. And guys, I'm sickened by it. I'm, I, I have the experience of looking at my anger and at the same sick pile that is my life, and I'm sickened by it but I move out and away from it, okay? And I ride the loop around and then something happens, right? Let's just say it's with my spouse or with Jamie, my wife, or or with a friend or this and that. And All of a sudden I start to get all activated, right? Here's what it looks like. Here's the difference between riding the wounded loop for another rodeo. You go, I'm gonna take another loop. I feel like I got it in me. Or finally going, God, I wanna be broken. I don't wanna be wounded anymore. It's when you stand there in that moment and let's say somebody's coming at us. All right? Somebody's coming at me and I've already laid the ground rules, okay? So let's. it's that moment where now somebody's coming at you and you've already expressed to them your expectations, all right? You start using counseling phrases. Isn't this the best in your marriage when all of a sudden you're like, "Um, I'm starting to feel activated. Um, This is kind of stirring me in an unhealthy way. Maybe could you back off and take some space? We do all of that, right? But the individual coming at you just doesn't care. They're having a day on their own And they start just, boom, and they're stepping on all of our landmines. Here's what happens. The enemy loves this. The enemy fires up a conveyor belt in our lives, right? So let's use me. The enemy fires up a conveyor belt and he goes, Rustin. And I start looking around my life and I realize I have created a life that has given me entitlement to my sin. I've hidden it or I've justified it. But I've now, wait a minute, well, she's stepping on my landmines. She or he or my friend or my boss, they know better than that. So now I'm entitled to be angry. When you pick up the entitlement to go back into sin, you're just jumping back on the wounded loop. The broken moment happens where you go, God, here it comes oh my gosh, anger's here, I see it. It's like a revelation of this gross place where I've been and I'm sickened by my behavior. And so God, what I recognize is it's not just my angry moment or my angry behavior. I admit and confess right now, Lord, I have an angry heart. And that angry heart desires to pick up what that, the enemy is bringing me on this conveyor belt again. I, I, I want it, my heart wants it, but I'm so sickened by it. The God, in this moment, what I say to you is... I don't wanna do that anymore. And I confess my angry heart, not just my angry moment, but I confess my angry heart and I'm asking you, will you come in and change my angry heart? Because that's what I'm really in need of, a changed heart, not just a changed behavior. I don't need better exhaust, I need a different engine. And that is a life-changing, game-changing moment where all of a sudden we start to see our lives change because we don't have to justify anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. We're asking God for a completely transformed deal. You know why the enemy doesn't want you to hear this today? Because the enemy wants you to keep picking stuff up, stuff up, stuff up, that was weird, stuff up off of the conveyor belt out of entitlement and rebellion. You deserve it be angry. They don't understand what it's like to be you. Justification, entitlement, rebellion. God says, it doesn't matter. I can change your heart. What if all of a sudden you didn't see the conveyor belt anymore because you had in that moment finally gone, I'm taking a step out of wounded. And every time you have that experience, you're taking a step into broken, new, Take me into a new territory, God. I don't wanna live on my loop anymore. The enemy doesn't want you to know this because if you identify this, you can actually start to use the enemy's tools against him. He turns on the conveyor belt and all of a sudden now, instead of you going, ooh, that looks good, you go, oh my gosh, it's here again. And like a reminder on your phone, every time you get tempted to be angry, we all of a sudden have this ability to go, oh my gosh, there it is. Anybody ever set a reminder on your phone, take your medicine, right? Whatever it is, pray about, Whatever all of a sudden it pops up and you go, oh, that's right. When the enemy tries to tempt you to go back onto your wounded loop, use it against him. Oh God, I apologize, Lord. I I confess behavior. I confess the heart that longs for that. And Lord, I'm begging you now, in my dependence on you, will you change my heart? And what's amazing is, guys, this is not going to be one of those things that all of a sudden happens out of nowhere. Like, It will be, you're gonna sit there and all of a sudden you're gonna go, it's not like, oh, I'm on step six, I'm on step seven. I'm almost out of my angry loop. No, no, no. In a year, you're gonna look at your wife and you're gonna go, wow, when was the last time I put my fist through the drywall? I haven't done that in a while, have I? (laughs) You know, no, you haven't. As a matter of fact, we haven't had to call the handyman in like a year and a half. And hey, I haven't yelled at the kids as much as I used to. No, as a matter of fact, I think it's been a while since you did that. And all of a sudden you have this revelation where you go, God, you've been doing something that I didn't even see because I just did my part, which was to confess and to repent and to change, to stop the behavior. But I didn't stop there. I went to the root, to the heart of my problem, which was my heart. And I confessed, I can't even change that. I'm genuinely dependent on you. The the reason this works is because we go beyond our physical realm and we go into something deeper. You see, Rustin is not skin and bone and fingernails. I am a spiritual being borrowing this physical body, right? I am a spiritual being that because of a saving relationship with Christ will spend eternity with him. This body will rot away. These bones will become dry and broken, but my spirit will live on with Christ. So when I'm changing at a heart level, I'm changing at a spiritual level. The reason this works, this is so beautiful. The whole Trinity gets involved. Jamie taught us about how the father is eternally loving us just like that dad in that parable. The son earned our atonement through his precious spilt blood on the cross and the Holy Spirit's the one who applies it. We don't have to live on our loops anymore. The Holy Spirit comes along and he tutors my spirit how to behave like him. In that moment where I say, no, the behavior makes me sick and the heart, I see it and I feel it and I don't want it anymore. God, Holy Spirit, will you join me? Will you show me what it looks like? And the Holy Spirit's so happy to do that. He comes along and goes, yes, let me show you how to walk and to live like me, how to live a different life. You see, when we have that transaction, all of a sudden you start to realize over time, everything can change our entire lives can look different. You see, with that understanding of poor in spirit or dependent in our spiritual lives on God, now we can finally talk about what the kingdom of heaven is. Because the kingdom of heaven is now, the kingdom of heaven is then. The kingdom of heaven is already, but not yet. You see, the kingdom of heaven is that you don't have to live on your loop anymore. The world without Jesus is busy with its loop it doesn't have a solution for the loop. The only solution that the world has for its loop is to lower the bar so low that everybody can fall over it. You don't have to change. Your truth is perfect the way it is. You don't change, nobody needs to change. And the problem with the religious people is they're always trying to change us. And you want, I wanna look over and I wanna go, are you happy with where you are? Are you happy with your angry heart that wounds your friends and your family? Now, the reality is they've been wounded too. But, but if we just lower the bar, that's a watered down gospel. That's a gospel that says you do whatever you want. It doesn't say there's more. Not out of behavioral religious action, but out of a heart change that changes your behavior. You see, that's the kingdom now. We get to live in freedom from the things that break our hearts or the things that wound our hearts into a brokenness. What about in eternity? Even if you get off your wounded loop and you start to move into something new and different, you still gotta live in a world covered in sin, a world bathing in in woundedness. That's still gonna be an experience. Some day, my friends, Jesus will return. And it says in Revelation 21, there will be a new heaven and a new earth because the old one has gone away and the sea is no more. In Revelation 21, Jesus says he gets what he wants. He says there's no more mourning and there's no more tears. In Revelation 21, God declares that his plan that he proclaimed in Deuteronomy, which is that I am your God and you are my people and I will be with you as your God. Humans think, oh, well, we've changed God's mind. You know what he says in Revelation 21? He goes through this whole thing, this new Jerusalem that he describes it as with a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what he says? He just slips it in there because God's not arrogant. He's not antagonistic. He simply just says, and I'll be your God. You'll be my people and I'll be with you as your God. He just slips it in. Guys, the plan didn't change. I get you, you get me and you have the best thing in the world. I'll be your God. I'll be the one who continues to reign, but now sin is no more. We don't have to live hampered in our sin lives. Uh, The reality is that if we understand this truly poor in spirit concept, it changes everything. We, ours is the kingdom if we live a spiritually poor life. Why? Because it changes your view on everything. We live in a kingdom reality. Our realities change. Everything. If you read the Sermon on the Mount without an understanding of what it truly means to be poor in spirit, this is the first thing Jesus says. So many of us were sitting here in this moment. I sat here in this moment before I did this study and went, I've been misreading the most prolific teaching time of Jesus for my entire Christian life because I read it and I was exhausted by the to-do list. Like I got through the Beatitudes and went, ah, and that's Right. Right? There's, a, there's a level of experiencing my woundedness, but then I went out and go, I better get busy with my behaviors. I gotta go change my exhaust so it looks more like the Beatitudes. No, no, what I had to do was stop trying to do the Sermon on the Mount for God and go out and be with God as he makes those things real. You see, it's a different experience with dad when it's a, not a for you, so you'll love me, but a with you because you love me. That's a game-changing revelation. This is exactly what we read about this whole week in our Immerse reading. You guys been doing your Immerse reading? Oh, this room got a little weird here, didn't it? We read through Acts and Thessalonians this week, all right? And there's this reality where the church is exploding. Why? Because the city where the church was, was people on their wounded loops, riding around, and they're starting to realize, hey, wait a minute, what are these people doing? what's this buzz about this Christians, Christ followers? What's it all about? It's people who, who they come over, and they go, what are you guys doing? They go, well, we were on these wounded loops and then all of a sudden we realized they're so broken. They don't have to do it anymore. And by the thousands, people are flocking in the book of Acts to changed realities, to a kingdom reality. You mean you don't have to be angry anymore? No, I don't have to. And I've spent like a couple of months so incredibly broken with God and now... I, I go home with my wife and I'm like, it's different. I'm compassionate and caring and loving and like our marriage is better. The book of Acts is exploding with the church because of that reality. People are moving out of old realities and letting God move them off their loops. A friend of mine said something that is just, Beautiful and profound and wonderful. Josh uh, reared in this week. I, I was in study, and I use Josh a lot to, to run uh, ideas by him because he's a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and so, as we talked this week, Josh said, Rustin, the beautiful thing about the Sermon on the Mount is it's not just kingdom ethic, which means it's not just this is how the kingdom functions, it's not just kingdom ethic, it's kingdom empowerment. It's Jesus empowering his people to be able to live a different life. So as we, as we dive into the last kind of section of this, for the last little bit as we close, do you hear the Beatitudes different? Do you hear the Sermon on the Mount differently now? Do you hear those you have heard it said statements differently? You don't have to hear them like the Pharisees heard them. Wait, it's just impossible. And I got to work even though it's impossible. Do you now hear different things? So that when Jesus comes into the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, you go, wait a minute, God. You're telling me you could make me completely dependent on you if I cooperate? Yes, yes, son, I can. Wait, you're telling me you could make me, Rustin Rossello, meek. I've been angry for most of my life. It, it defends people. It keeps them away from me. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we could do meek. Your power could be under control, under my control. Wait, you wanna watch the whole Bible get involved? Mourn, blessed are those who mourn. That's sad. You're telling me I don't have to mourn like those who mourn without hope? We've heard that somewhere. It's later. I don't have to mourn with those who have hope because I have hope both for now and for my eternity. You can hear everything differently. The entire, everything Jesus says makes sense. If you all of a sudden hear, a, I don't have to do it for. I can stop my behavior, but I don't stop there. The question for all of us today as a gathered group of Christ followers is do you trust his plan for your life? Do you trust that the things that he wants, that he talks about are good for you? Or do you think that your plan is better? Because as long as you think your plan is better, you are wounded and rich in self, your plan, not his. His plan is trusting, okay, I'm giving it all to you. Great, because that's all I ever asked was for everything. And he says, now, let me take you from here. Do you truly believe that he is that loving father? that he's the one who cares about you so much. He loves you so much that he goes, I just can't stand to leave you on your wounded loop, rich in self, you need to be rich in me, which is to be poor in you, your spirit. Church, this is what we're gonna talk about this summer. We're not gonna talk about the behaviors because we're all good at trying to fix our exhaust. We're gonna talk about our engines. We're gonna talk about our hearts. It's what Kevin's gonna talk about next week. He's gonna pick this thing up and keep running with it. He's gonna talk about the law. He's gonna talk about the Pharisees. And when Jesus says, your your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. What's that mean? Well, it, it means something that Kevin's gonna walk into and talk about this heart condition. This is what it means for us to spend a summer on the Mount. And I'm so excited that we get to do this for six straight weeks. So as we close today, would you just bow your heads? Let me pray for all of us as we continue to dive in over the next six weeks. God, this is a game-changing revelation. Jesus, you gave us something so beautiful and so precious. You gave us permission to admit something to you that we can't please you without you. We can't do this alone. You'll need to dive in, Jesus. You'll need to take us to a deeper place as we take this revelation from you that you genuinely want to do these things with us. You're the dad who wants to be with us. God, we just give you this time, this series, to to take us into a deeper place where we can be with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.